This Much We Know is a podcast offering an honest and informative perspective of the realities and motivations of setting up a social enterprise. We'll be joined by guest social entrepreneurs and charity leaders whose trading models work to end homelessness. We'll be sharing their stories, tips, and of course, their facepalm moments. Homeless Link is the national membership charity for organisations working directly with people who become homeless in England. We work to make services better and campaign for policy change that will help end homelessness. Homeless Link members get access to benefits that support you to build and develop your organisation and ensure your voice and experience is heard at a national, regional and local level. To find out more about Homeless Link membership for your organisation, visit homeless.org.uk forward slash join. Today we're really excited to be joined by Zoe Portlock from Bikeworks CIC. Good morning, Zoe. Good morning. Thanks, Murphy. So my name is Zoe. I'm co-founder and now co-CEO of Bikeworks. Uh, Bikeworks is 16 years of age. We're a social enterprise uh, founded in the east end of London and we use the bicycle for good. But what we do is we deliver lots of different services across London. We use a commercial model with which to generate a surplus that enables us to provide services to over 3,000 disabled people and carers uh, throughout all ability cycling clubs. So our whole reason for existing is to increase physical exercise for those people that are denied access to that, to increase well-being and to also uh, encourage connectivity, whether that be through travel or whether that be people re-engaging with place or with other people in their community. I have been part of the community, social enterprise and charity sector for, oh, it's a terrible thing to say, two and a half decades now. So I've seen a lot of change during that time, uh, done a lot of things uh, and learnt hopefully uh, quite a bit along my journey as well. Um, it's worth mentioning uh, that as co-founder, uh, my other co-founder is Jim Blakemore, who's also co-CEO. And we are, for want of a better phrase, partners, purely because we've been so busy being social entrepreneurs. Really excited to hear more about Bikeworks and your career history sounds like you've been sort of doing all different kind of things of your history within social enterprise are there any particular career highlights wow it's a good question so a long time to to have a lot of highlights yeah definitely i think for me it's been just the ability to find my own freedom by using the the sector itself to generate opportunities where you look to address the things that are most important to you so i feel really privileged to know that you know my passion has been um, or has been able to shine through by having a purpose and seeing all the political shifts over the time and different economic situations and where social entrepreneurship fits into that so uh, i think my own personal highlight, obviously being very uh, proud to, to still be running a successful social enterprise, you know, 16 years later. But I was also founder of uh, an employment service um, in Tower Hamlets for, it was actually our first employment service uh, that addressed the needs of our disabled population, focusing particularly on people with learning disabilities and head injuries, which would have been, goodness me, it's where I turn into my nan and I can't remember the dates and how many years ago, but that would have been back in about early 2000s. Um, and I'm really proud to say that that service you know, has uh, still existed and is still doing phenomenal work today 
uh, under the uh, charity that's called Tower Project uh, for anyone in East London who wants to look that up. So yeah, lots of different highlights along the way. But I think really it's about being able to know that you can do something and make those plans that you have in your head or you start to write down actually put them into action and then in some cases hand over what you've developed to other people to take on that next journey that next chapter to evolve into something even more phenomenal excellent and why what why bikes i always get that sense sarah i think you know <laughs> <laughs> Why bikes? Why not anything? So that you know as well, I also set up a balloting enterprise. So you could have said to me, why balloting? <laughs> <laughs> I think it doesn't matter what the tool is. I was going to say what the vehicle is, but didn't know if that was too shabby a pun uh, with regards to the use of cycling. But it's really the ability to, to seize uh, a thing, a vehicle, a tool, and actually develop the intervention around it. So for those that know me, they will laugh out loud and continue to do so. I am not the cyclist of the family. I am the person that comes from a community development background. I've always uh, worked in the sector with regards to inclusion, looking at equality uh, within that as well, and working with those that, you know, that horrible label that people are called, which is hard to engage and actually isn't the right and correct title. And I think people are starting to understand that now. We do have communities and people who are underserved and continue to be so. And so as a social entrepreneur, having that social entrepreneurial spirit, it's really having that passion to take something like the humble bicycle that's been around for a bit and actually look at how you might use that in a way to create phenomenal outcomes for people. So using the bicycle was really because of Jim, who had for many years run uh, bicycle shops from a 15 year old having a Saturday job or a summer holiday job. And I was doing for, you know, with regards to writing the business plan for Bikeworks, I was doing a uh, degree course uh, on social entrepreneurship, which was, you know, very much of its moment. There are lots of courses now that are available all different levels, but back then it was the first of its kind. And that was developed with, uh, I should give shout outs to, to the people that create these opportunities. Uh, that was a, a partnership between University of East London and Bromley by Bow Centre. And so uh, it was great for me. I went back to University of East London, having done cultural studies previously, and actually got to put everything in place um, with regards to what I needed to do to form a social business. So as I was writing up all these plans and writing essays and dissertations, I was doing that literally on the kitchen table. And I was asking Jim things like, how much is a brake pad? And of course, what you do, uh, as you do in life, is you become very passionate and engaged with something. And I think that starts to shine through. Um, and knowing that that person had the skills around running a, a viable, financially viable cycling shop meant that, you know, I, I actually did encourage Jim to leave the private profit making, uh, personally profit making anyway, uh, cycle business that he'd created and actually uh, jump ship and joined the world of social entrepreneurship and convinced him to be uh, the first and <laughs> really the only CEO for Bikeworks uh, until the until the pandemic came along. And uh, I jumped back in, put down my 
our crowner's chair. I like to think it was a crown. It wasn't really. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, took up a business development role and we're currently now co-CEOing uh, just because of the challenges ahead and actually needing both of us. And we do work extremely well together. Um, so yes, a very uh, long way round of answering why bikes, I will also say. I have a lot of skills around balloting minibuses too. There's so many questions there that I have from, from what you've shared with us then, um, some really interesting pieces. The thing I really like is that it's about finding the tool and then working out what you can do with that, which is quite a charity sector approach to social enterprise. You know, how do you utilize your space, whether it's um, space hire, starting off community kitchens in your um, hostel, you know, what what exists now? Whereas from a business perspective, it's normally, you know, what do we want to do? And then finding the tools kind of in between. It's it's a different way around. Have you has that always been the way that you've looked at social enterprise or is there different kind of starting points for you and different stories? No, I think it's really, you know, fantastic question to ask. And I, I think that is to do with the space around social entrepreneurship and what does it mean to be a social entrepreneur in the same way that we have these big conversations around, you know, the legalities of a social enterprise and why is that different to a charity or to a social business or a B Corp. You know, you can spend whole dinner parties if you want or breakfast mornings, you know, talking about this stuff. I think the shape of that sector is very much driven by the backgrounds of those people that come in with which to push forward with their ideas and their opportunities. And I would say for me, having come from an inclusion and community engagement background where I'd grown up in the early noughties, and you know, the challenges politically at that time where charity and social enterprise was. That was at a time where social enterprise was having a resurgence. It was being, to a certain extent, reinvented, reestablished. It was being grab, grabbed hold of um, by the politicians and central government at that time as a way of actually being able to do other things around the public sector space. And so I have a real passion for engaging with and supporting those social entrepreneurs who I see as being community entrepreneurs. So those people that very much see the issues around them, literally within their communities, that understand the issues, um, that are very engaged and want to see the change happen. And it feels like very much, you know, like a political activism, actually. The idea that if you're given the right tools and you come up with the right business solution, that you can look to address things like, you know, the lack of uh, skills for getting into employment, uh, for those people that need to have uh, various supported um, educational environments, um, be it people getting physically active or getting mentally well because actually they need to connect with more people because they're isolated. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Um, access to good food, you know, the bringing together of, of viable community cafes. And so for me, I love the world and the sector around social enterprise. I think it's still got a lot of challenges and a lot to push forward to achieve. But I do have a little personal love for a good old fashioned community entrepreneur. And they're the people that thrill me, actually. And I think where we are now and for someone of my age is how do we, particularly when you get up, you listen to the radio in the morning and it is so bleak and our young people are given such little hope at this stage is making sure that we generationally connect with one another. 
Um, so my other approach that I, I love is really having that village mentality because I think you can get caught up in system change. You can get up, caught up in, you know, whether to buy that cup of coffee and what does that mean and where should you go for it and is that ethical? So there are these huge challenges around society and being ethical. And I think when you lose your way in your own head is actually bringing it back down to what makes a good community. And good communities are those that look after one another, that take a village approach to supporting and helping. And I think a lot of that was established through my upbringing, through my nan and my grandpa who brought me up, uh, that established a lot of my values and approach to life. And it was all that storytelling that came through from my nan, from Scottish village, my grandpa, Newcastle. Uh, South Shields, really poor, impoverished, you know, communities. But these stories were told with such, you know, passion and humour and thoughts and, you know, bringing the characters to life. And you know, literally Mrs. Miggins couldn't afford shoes for a child to do blah and he was down the pub, but yet such and such and Dolly down the road and she helped out. So I, I just love that approach to life. And I think we need to hear more of it. Mm. Do you, do you think the focus on kind of social media and having more of a, you know, global insight into what's going on prevents that kind of neighbourly mindset? Because we're I looking think... out on such a big scale, it's kind of easy to forget what's happening next door. Yeah, it's really, it's a curious thing, isn't it? Because, you know, for me, when I was at university, I had to book into the computer room <laughs> to use a computer. <laughs> Stop laughing. <laughs> and then when we bought our first home computer, it used to make that terrible noise. And my reason for saying that is because I was at the cusp of trying to work out and reading you know essays and research on what the internet would bring to us and you know connecting and reconnecting digitally in different ways across the globe and with different communities and so i've as a young adult all the way through my life have, have looked at what does that opportunity afford us and of course you know we we can see where we've landed which is actually those that want power, that have influence, that have money, will always grab hold of things um, and to a certain extent, you know, look to ruin them. But there are always opportunities within that. So as much as the, the digital age and, you know, the web and having access to, you know, the alerts go off, don't they, on the phone and you can instantly see, you know, who's passed away or what bombers dropped where around the world. So we have access to information in ways that we never had before. But yeah, I think this period of time of having come through the, the pandemic years, and we've only just started them, but the disconnect that we had, I think, reminded people about how important it was to be in person with people, which is something we say now, we used to use the word in person, blended. So, you know, the idea that we need humans around us, we need to feel a sense of community, we need to feel connected. I think we've been shown that by having that taken away. And I'm interested in this generation coming through that are coming out of schools, going into universities or coming out of universities. They've had their world shaped in ways that we couldn't ever imagine that really children and young people would only have had shaped had they been through war or crisis at a, a global level. And I want to see actually you know, will there be an incredible backlash from that? Will there be significant change, a different way of viewing the world? And I think it's 
our role for those that have gone through a lot of their life and experienced different political contexts and, and economic challenges to say, actually, these are the things that we went through. I came through, you know, I was a Thatcher's child, not quite literally, <laughs> that's an awful thought, um, but to be, uh, <laughs> to be that person where actually those decisions and the politics of that time and that recession of that time was really awful and affected us all, my family and, and me. Um, and actually, you know, there is always going to be hope. Um, and so we have to really lead from the front around what do good communities look like, whilst also giving hope. But I, I want to look at how do we distribute by using business and social business as a tool for good in actually looking at the economics differently, the power structures around businesses as well, because there's also the challenge here around those people who hold the most power and have that top percentage of money, you know, they're, they're stuck there. I, I don't really see in my lifetime much will change, but there's a lot around the middle and the bottom runs that actually I would want those younger generations with our support and knowledge share to really come through and start to disrupt. I'd like to see a lot of disruption actually yeah us too I think this this season of the podcast is is focusing on women within the social enterprise space in our last series we talked a lot about diversity and the fact that the conversation's been happening for too long without much change um and wanting to really understand the different um power dynamics um lack of representation at different levels, you know, not just on a gender basis, but also around disability-led organizations, BAME-led, um, any marginalized groups really, you know, who, who is being represented both at the kind of organizational level and also at the funding level and to look at, you know, where the funding isn't, isn't going. Um, so really interesting to get your take on this because it sounds like you've got such a good understanding of this from the employment side and also from the sort of disability um, perspective as well. In terms of the gender basis, is there any, um, what's your kind of feelings around women in social enterprise? Do you feel that women are, are well represented and supported in senior roles? It's, a, it's an interesting one because there's something here around what research tells us and then what our own lived experience is and then, you know, as comrades, as fellow women, our shared and collective experience on the ground that we talk about, you know, meetings, you know, cups mm -hmm. of tea. Actually, I would say over the past couple of years, because everyone's really had their eye on making sure that, you know, gone through a survival period, particularly for social enterprises in the sector, it's been hugely challenging um, from either seizing funds with which to, you know, make sure that the, the good is done with those funds to the funding crisis and the, the lack of funds around now, including changing business models um, and pivoting and being agile and all those things that, that we, we now have words for, we were doing really previously before, but we now have words for. And so I would say that there's a lack of space and time where women have been brought together to connect properly. So, you know, a shout out definitely to Pioneers Post and, you know, NatWest and the SE100 and, you know, how we, we bring those events together are phenomenal. And when we had the SE100 earlier this year, <laughs> everyone would be like children going to a party for the first time and go, oh, 
wow, I remember seeing you on a Zoom and yeah, God, you're taller. <laughs> yeah, I, that happens to me a lot. <laughs> um, it's just, and you, and, you know, going back to the, the human connection piece, it's so important that, you know, the space is provided for us to come together, to network. And, and to talk through in very casual ways, you know, the challenges and, and to hear other people's experiences as well, because age, ethnicity, class, your time in the sector or within that career, they all have a, a bearing. And it means that everyone comes away with different challenges. But together, the more that we understand those challenges, the more we can think about our personal responsibility in actually addressing those or being, uh, you know, the comrade who actually wants to walk alongside and ensure that the door is open because actually I'm a little bit further ahead in my career or actually sharing networks because, you know, why wouldn't you if you're working with people and you've got a network of people who have got huge social purpose, you know, the idea that you wouldn't be uh, collaborating or being generous with, with your offer. I, I think is a very sad thing and and I have to say I've always been very fortunate to be around very generous people and to learn from that. The experiences and it is interesting I, I have been thinking back over the past couple of decades of my own treatment as a female in my career journey and as much as in my head I sort of go yeah I can't think that I've had any terrible experiences you know and, and I, I think it's fair to say that for most people is that unless you've had something really truly awful happen and in your face blatant happen you kind of sort of think that everything's been okay or have I been one of the lucky ones and then you start to think well actually let me think about the subtlety of some of the relationships the journey the the way that I've been viewed potentially you know when I've been pitching um, or some of the language people have used to describe me over the years and I think hmm actually there is a bit of an enlightenment happening around um, race around racism around sexism and there is new language to describe the subtle issues uh, that, that really do create barriers and are continuously challenging and it's always going to be the grey and the mm, did I read you know did I you know, am I being a bit paranoid about that or have I got a chip on my shoulders the other one isn't it you know and there are words that I look back on that I cringe at where you know people have said oh that's fantastic so you know you're fantastically passionate now I'm thinking, oh God, you know, do people use those words to describe a male entrepreneur? And to be fair, you know, it's not something where I'd come away going, oh wow, that's really an awful thing. And I'll take that and run with it. I am a passionate person. But I do like to think, you know, more so now, I think, would you use that language or those words or be behaving in that way if I had, if I was male? And so for a lot of things now, I am reassessing them. And also, you know, owning more space and encouraging other females to own more space, be more vocal. Um, you know, the loud female that gets kind of like, you know, ticked off and, oh yeah, she's a bit much, isn't she? And it's like, 
what because she had an idea and she was a bit assertive you know would you say that about a man you know so the list goes on and on and uh, but I can say uh, that the one thing that I do and you have to use humour in life and I use a lot of humour and it gets me through really is when you have other women that you work with and you go into board meetings or scenarios uh, with other potentially more senior males shall we say and I do like the, uh, the comments that where we come away, it's been quite an intense meeting where it's been very hard to get a word in, or actually you've just been told what you know already uh, and you know, had your conversation repeated back to you using different mm. words. So yeah, we always call that peacocking. And uh, so <laughs> it is that thing, you, do, you have your own secret language just to get through, you come away and you go, Oh, yeah, a bit peacocking went on in there, did it? <laughs> <laughs> and then you move on. <laughs> but sometimes, you know, it is right to call that out as well. And only you and other colleagues will ever know when that time is right. But yes, it's definitely, I think, for us all to, you know, to learn and also be really open. I'd say as well, the time of the past couple of years and particularly the, the way that society moved forward uh, with re reacting to Black Lives Matter, I think really set a tone and it set a tone of being open and for people to really become a lot braver in understanding that it's okay not to know, but it's not okay to live without knowledge um, and it's not okay to be defensive within that where actually as human beings we can't get to better understand how to live alongside one another and also how to address equality within that as well and so you know riding on the back of that i think again looking at the disruption that i want to see happen over these next few years we continue to challenge um, and we continue to feel uncomfortable at times and it's all right to feel uncomfortable why wouldn't you be mm. Yeah, I really like that phrase, kind of finding comfort in the uncomfortable, that, you know, you are, by agreeing to be part of a journey and agreeing to learn, that's, that's great, you know, we can't all be expected to know everything from the get-go, but it's the willingness to, or acceptance of not knowing that, that's that what we need to change. I also really liked what you said around sort of being comrades of inclusion, you know, keeping the door open for other people, I think it's a really poignant thing to say around that kind of personal accountability of what we're doing for other people and it's uh, an easy thing to do you know if you think about how what are you doing each week to make sure that there is room for other people to be brought into the conversation yeah thank you so are there particular people that have been influential in your career and have sort of you mentioned yeah, your grandparents but are there, are there people that you've met professionally you know, since starting out in social entrepreneurship that are, are, are notable conversations or individuals that I guess have changed the direction, changed the dynamic, shaped you, shaped Biteworks. Yeah, could you just share a couple of those examples with us? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think for anyone, you're shaped by all conversations and all engagement and the ability to look at what others are doing and learn from you know what really thrills them their successes and also you know mistakes along the way the people that i seek out in my life and i have been thinking about this over the past year as well and i think it's just might be just my time of life being a bit reflective but think about those people that have shaped me and they are those people that are not known 
they're not people who win awards. They're not people that have articles in newsletters or, you know, can even say that they are a founder of such and such. And I've always gone for very wise older people. Um, and I think that's probably because I've been shaped through my experience of being brought up by older people. And I'm always taken in by people who really share their experience in phenomenal storytelling. So all of my journey, I have to admit, I'm not from the east end of London. I'm originally from Hounslow, which is a borough just near to Heathrow Airport. So I came over to Town Hamlets to East London as a teenager. And I think the reason that I stayed is all those years ago, and of course it isn't what it is now, or in a different shape and space completely, but I really enjoyed the belonging created by the East End culture and the ability to spin a story. And it very much reminded me of, of the northern roots of my nan and grandpa, you know, that ability to, to talk about, you know, somebody's experience from being a youth worker and working with, uh, you know, back then be called disaffected youth and, you know, kids that would never be able to get a job and coming from you know households that now when you look at it and think back to, to what's being described it is horrific but as a younger person listening to that storytelling and just getting a sense of wow these jobs and roles exist and these organizations and groups and communities exist and and people have a really awful life you know and, and more awful if actually a lot of the love in their life has disappeared let alone the challenges of, of poverty and you know everything that might come with that and so i surround myself by very wise older women who have all done phenomenal things in their career but if i was to mention you know you wouldn't probably even find them on google to be honest <laughs> And then, of course, there'll be those people that I look to now, who are those people that have come through their own challenges and have become social entrepreneurs in their own right. And so in our local community, you know, I will give respect and, and huge shout outs to both, um, and I do always say, <laughs> our Lisa, she doesn't, I'm not Northern like that, but you know, Lisa <laughs> over at Social Arc, um, who I remember when she was starting out and the passion that, that she had and the challenges she had in being taken seriously at that time, when all she wanted to do was create opportunity and connect young people across East London who were being underserved and overlooked for a number of reasons and show them the world of social entrepreneurship um, and doing that with, you know, very little experience herself. And, you know, I'm sure she wouldn't mind me sharing a, a huge amount of self-doubt. So the respect I have for people who keep going um, and keep moving forward because they are so purpose driven and know that ultimately at the heart of what they want to achieve is going to make a difference. And she's a phenomenal networker as well. So her ability to talk about the lives of the young people that, that she engages and their journeys, you know, incredible social um, impact being made. And then I was particularly excited for Lisa to get awarded in the uh, SE 100s this year and to see everyone on the little, because we had to go offline. It wasn't because of the pandemic, it was because of <laughs> rail strikes this time. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so the old chat box and everything of, of young people on there all being really excited to see her get recognised. 
And then also, you know, another um, local phenomenal woman, also a friend uh, called Sophia Jama, who has just been like leading from the front in ensuring that our Somali community in East London is recognised, but not just the Somali community, actually the very specific and nuanced issues for Somali women uh, and their families, um, who takes a phenomenal entrepreneurial approach to the point where even I go, oh my God, do you think we should be doing that, Sophia? I'm not sure. And then she just goes for it. And uh, again, using her ability to engage. And I think what female social entrepreneurs are good at is really talking through the, the feeling and depth of the situation that they find themselves in and the challenges of those beneficiaries or the impact that they want to create is why they're doing it. And, and the buying in of that story is just so powerful in engaging with people that will also want to support that cause in all sorts of ways. And so, yeah, I, I would, anyone listening, please do look up both the Women's Inclusive Team and Social Arc, because they're the people really that I look to go forward to and, and get my inspiration from. Thank you. Yeah, well, I've just noted those down, so we'll include those in the show She's notes as well for people to have a look. Have you got a have you got a couple of like real yeah real good moments of like why did I do that or what were we thinking? Oh, face plant moments. Oh my goodness. I mean, there are all those funny little cringy things that happen, but they're, yeah. they're not really. I love them. <laughs> yeah, we'll have those. Oh, oh, well, it's still one of my favourite moments. <laughs> yeah, let's have some of those. Uh, a wee cringy moment uh, was the one where. Um... <laughs> oh God. <laughs> <laughs> and this, and I hate this so much. I can't believe to say this out loud. And then you're going, and, and I go, I know, but it meant something to me. I feel really embarrassed. <laughs> that moment where you're in an organisation and you have, you know, monthly awards that get given out to people for what they've been doing, and you hear your name called, and you get up thinking that the award is for you, and you realise that the person's calling you up to give the award. That was a wee, a wee cringy what, moment. What award did you not win? I want to know what award. Oh, God, I, I think it was, they were like sort of like you know achievement awards you know you've done gone above and beyond extra mile that type of thing so the lesson yeah. learned there as well apart from yeah the obvious is also yeah listen to the pauses really important <laughs> <laughs> particularly when you hear your name you're like in what context was that given <laughs> yeah. oh dear oh, yeah. <laughs> I like that one. If you do have any um any others, we're always really, really happy to hear them. Maybe we should actually start asking listeners to send some in. Have so send them in. So. I think that yeah. would be good actually. Yeah. Best I think we should. Face palm moments. If you yeah. have them, send them in. <laughs> we're here for it. <laughs> or tweet us. So I mean, you mentioned a few already. In fact, you mentioned loads already, but are there any other social enterprises, social entrepreneurs, women in particular, that you're sort of keeping an eye on following with interest that you think that is a really good that's a that's an absolute cracking idea can't wait to see where that one goes yeah do you know what the the space is so interesting and it is really exciting um and you know for anyone listening go and check out the sc 100 list um of of wise women <laughs> she always makes me chuckle a little bit but the the wise list and and I think actually it's quite overwhelming in, in a really positive way at the moment. 
And when you look at that list, and it's not the be all and end all, don't get me wrong, you know, there are people out there and I'm a huge advocate for those people that don't have the time to even enter things or think about themselves in that way. And that's about us as, as women encouraging other women as well. Um, but also some of it's about the accessibility of the awards and how important it's viewed um, along everything else that, that women are, are challenged in their everyday lives in, in doing and achieving. Um, you know, if you think for most women, and I say this as a chair of our local carers centre, is uh, most women still typically are seen as the main carer. Um, and as you go through your life and you get older, it's, there's a lot there around what we refer to around uh, sandwich caring, where you're challenged with caring for younger people and also the older generations as well. And you're expected to be a phenomenal social entrepreneur and enter awards. So, uh, you know, maybe we should be looking at, at some of, you know, how we access, you know, really great talent going forward. But I'm really interested when you meet people and you ask them what their background is, because I don't think or maybe some people do. They go through school, they go, I want to be a social entrepreneur. Uh, but a majority of people don't really. They, they sort of find the sector, they move around it, maybe get a bit frustrated by the charity sector or have had something life, you know, some life situation that's really engaged them and made them more purposeful about addressing a situation. Or, you, you know, for me, it's when you hear of young women who are coming through their careers who have been educated as architects who are then using those skills and that learning and applying it differently so using those skills and looking at how you might address the issues um, with regards to uh, employment and gaining good meaningful employment where are you're you talking homeless about pivot? I might be. And don't you think, shout out required. Yes. <laughs> She's brilliant. We like make pivot. Yeah, we like Really, pivot. you know, and I think that she actually really represents a new wave of social entrepreneurs and really refreshingly so, which is people that are coming at situations with different skills, different experiences and a different way of seeing the issue with which to provide the solution. So for social enterprises, of course, we're all challenged by the triple bottom line. There's all new words again to describe the things that we used to do, but now we get to call them things like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm having a design solution seminar. There is a point in this. I do think we have, I think we do need to just go back to a bit more simplistic language in social yeah. enterprise. You know, what we do, what we do, we make social impact or social good. And we and we make profit at the same time and it's that's it isn't it like i i do feel like we maybe overcomplicate stuff with big words um yeah. at points and uh, yeah yeah i couldn't agree more that actually we have to be careful about the language that we use because the more that people come into the space and bring language and new ways of working you know, using the word, you know, more sophisticated language, that you actually by default will end up excluding people. And so my, my journey through education has really been through chance. And that's been through just right place, right time, right year. So, you know, as somebody who was one of the first in the family to go to uni, but was only able to do that because I was from a single parent family and actually the government at the time was able to provide grants, etc., that enabled me to do that. Um, and then, you know, seizing the moment of a community free degree for social enterprise, you know, being delivered in Tower Hamlets 
and just you know being brought up to understand the importance of knowledge and learning and when you've got it grab it you know I, I certainly don't see myself as as particularly intellectual but I like learning and I understand the importance of knowledge and I think the more that we crowd the space with you know different sorts of ways of, of talking Ooh, ideas, about welcome. as you say Simon the the basics around what a social business is and why it exists what's your vision, your mission, what's your purpose, um, what are those outcomes you want to achieve, how are you going to do it, um, and ultimately, what are those things, those activities and products or services that you're going to deliver, do them well, and do them at the same level as any other profit-making business or, or corporate, and your surplus just going back into that, and where that surplus goes back into, and what that how that helps address your mission and your reason for bringing that together. I think it has to remain as simple as that. And of course, with growth in any sector, you will, of course, get new, you know, they become job creation schemes at times where, you know, suddenly, and it's not to dismiss anyone who, who's doing this as work, um, but, you know, yeah, there, there are people that can come in and make a lot of money in trying to provide you with something. Uh, that arguably you might not need um, and does that still allow you to have a viable business model and does it still allow you to achieve what you originally set up to achieve by putting that business together so yeah it'll be really interesting to see the the sector and how it will develop over this next decade because those of us that have been part of you know the the refresh and the reset and you know bringing social enterprise to life again back in the early noughties you know with phenomenal people like Juno Sullivan actually forgot to mention June because I love her to pieces one of the most generous women you know that you could ever know who continues to head up uh, phenomenally so the London Early Years Foundation who we do fantastic partnership work with so we deliver team building events and they produce uh, little tiny bikes uh, for children but I know I had to say little tiny bikes just so that you could think about that <laughs> <laughs> it's so cute and the children are even cuter than the bikes I have to say <laughs> but those bicycles again keeping it simple you know the team building activity produces those little tiny bikes that go out to the cutest children all around June's fantastic nurseries in London that look about getting uh, kids on bikes earlier uh, and providing access to bikes to those families that potentially you know it's not the first priority on their list of things to buy yeah, so, you know, I think you know, going, I think definitely it's that keeping it, keeping it simple and also thinking about who those next leaders will be and what shakeups might they have. I mean, what are their relationships going to be like with central government? Is that one to talk about? Ooh, yeah. Oh, that's another, that's a whole other episode. <laughs> I think that's another, another podcast. <laughs> Maybe three. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've, um... That's I've got one question that I just have to ask you before we go from a sort of inclusivity and employment perspective. If there was kind of one one ask, what, what would you want to change in sort of employment policy or, or set up to make it more inclusive to people, whether it's kind of hours, access to IT equipment, whatever, what, what do you think would your one fairy godmother wish be? Goodness me, that's one of the hardest things to answer in as one thing. 
what is that one thing that would make the most difference with which everything else can follow and I still think it is about stigma and so I, I speak specifically um, with regards to still my learning and understanding of the lack of opportunity and access to employment and I'm talking about real employment and career opportunities for disabled people that still exist in the year that we're in mm. um, and it continues to be overlooked um, shockingly so and there is a lot here about the stigma attached to what people perceive disability to be and also if you think the uh, you know the whole range of different disabilities and health conditions, including those that are invisible. You know, I know even during the first year of the pandemic, I was supporting my friend who has MS um, with the furlough arrangements of the, you know, the organisation she was working at and the behaviour and attitude and just the general disregard for the situation was just shocking. Um, and in my mind, I was you know, I felt that those people should have known better uh, because of who they were and where, you know, what they represented. But actually, I think it was a bit of a wake up call to me because I thought, actually, if you still can't get that right and you're a charitable organisation who's there to address equality, then actually, what are these other challenges then that I have become a little bit more removed from? And so the the conversation here has to be about better understanding around adjustments and also how how you appeal to you know hr people culture and how we understand now better than ever before that a mixed skill set abilities viewpoints within a team creates a much better team but yet we still feel, you know, and it is all about bias here, we still will employ, and I know that there's work going into addressing that and being more aware of it, more conscious of it, but we've still got a long way to go when actually people do still like to recruit in their own light and feel comfortable in doing so. And so it's thinking instead about, you know, the inclusion of people, it's actually, I think, coming at it more so from a business case scenario. So the better that, you know, the leaders, business leaders understand that the mix and the diversity of the teams that you create will produce phenomenal results. The more we focus on that, that's where I think the, the, the sweet spot is rather than a, shall we have a quota? Um, and mm. I say that as, you know, one of the most extreme, <laughs> most <Yeah>. unpopular <laughs> conversations with me. <laughs> There's an organisation in America that wrote an article a few weeks ago around using con external consultants for recruitment. So if you have a staff team that recruiting, likelihood is, you know, you're going to get the echo chamber effect of, oh, I totally agree with her, she was great, or he was great, whatever. But bringing in external people who can kind of take a back seat and go, okay, these are the steps of the team, this is what they're missing. And the recruitment process is all done separately to the existing team structure. Yeah, I think that sounds like a really interesting idea because, it, you know, the recruitment process should have challenge within it. But of course, if everyone's internal, you've got a culture there, you've got a fit, haven't you? We all know what that feels like. Yeah. And so having 
checks and balances that come in the guise of external support uh, with which to set the challenge to get people thinking differently. Yeah, I think that sounds like a really interesting solution. If you or one of your colleagues would like to find out more about the social enterprise development work at Homeless Link, we will be holding our annual enterprise development conference on the 16th of November. For tickets, please go to homeless.org.uk forward slash event forward slash enterprise hyphen development hyphen conference. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe for more episodes or follow us on Twitter at thismuch underscore we know or email us at thismuchweknow at homelesslink.org.uk.